0: I'm Caleb Zacharin, Assistant Editor of the New Books Network, and you're listening to New Books and Finance. Today I'm speaking with Robert Hetzel, retired economist from the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. He is currently a visiting scholar at the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. We're discussing a paper he recently presented at the Dallas Fed Conference on February 9th titled, Does the Federal Open Market Committee have a Viable Strategy for Controlling Inflation? The Federal Open Market Committee, or FOMC, sets monetary policy for the United States with the objective of price stability and full employment. In mid-2021, inflation began to rise, reaching its highest level in 40 years. In response, the FOMC has raised interest rates and hinted at broader policy shifts. In his paper, Robert helps make sense of the current challenges facing monetary policy and considers the best routes for the FOMC to take to avoid a hard landing. Robert, thank you for joining me today on the New Books Network. Thank you for having me. Uh, Let me say
1: just a little bit about why I think this discussion is important. You know, we haven't had serious inflation now for 30 years. And unfortunately, uh, the economics profession and newspaper journalists have forgotten how to talk about inflation, uh, how its control, what the nature of inflation is, uh, to use the jargon of economics. Is it a monetary phenomenon? So, uh, central banks have to control money uh, to control inflation? Or is it a non monetary phenomenon and the Fed can juggle instead of one ball, price stability, two balls, low uh, unemployment, low inflation, uh, and move slack around in the economy to do that? Um, all of these things uh, that used to be discussed have been sort of pushed aside. And so, the economics profession is really missing in action. And and now we're in a very serious situation where we need to understand inflation and the kind of discussion that we should be having, we're not having. And there's no consensus about what the Fed should do, uh, about how it can bring inflation down and bring it down to 2% without falling below that and how to keep it at 2%. And I'm bringing one perspective, which I think needs to be represented. Uh, I come out of the Milton Friedman Money and Making Workshop at the University of Chicago. That's a monetarist tradition. But I was also at the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond for 42 and a half years. So I had a lot of time to think about how to apply monetarist principles. And even though the original Milton Friedman rule of 3% money growth is no longer a viable rule, still the basic principles are are there, and they they need to be discussed. They need to be part of the of the discussion, and that's why I'm glad to be on your program today.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you know, I, I think you bring you bring it. You know, a lot of experience uh, and and a really unique perspective. Uh, obviously, we discussed your book, the history of the Federal Reserve, last time. So it's nice to sort of take that. Uh, I recommend listeners uh, if they want more of a background on the Federal Reserve, listen to that um, interview. But we're going to talk more today, as you sort of as you you hinted about current events. So uh, how would you describe what's gone gone on in the past two years with monetary policy uh, in the wake of COVID? Unfortunately, without a rule, this
1: publicly discussed and, and imposes continuity on monetary policy. Monetary policy can be subject to the sort of accident of whoever's in power at the time a crisis occurs. And course a crisis did occur in March of 2020 uh, with the COVID uh, virus suddenly uh, emerging and people realizing it was a worldwide phenomenon. And the unemployment rate jumped to 14.9%, 14.7% in April of 2020. And the composition of the FOMC at the time was Keynesian. That is the Members of the FOMC believe that the Fed should be juggling two goals, low unemployment and low inflation. And to do that, you need some kind of trade-off. Phil- Economists call that the the Phillips curve, okay? And policymakers thought, oh, man, fourteen 14.7% per- 14. unemployment. There's a lot of slack in the economy. We are going to um, bring the unemployment rate down, uh, to its pre pandemic low of 3.5%, and we didn't have inflation with unemployment of 3.5%. You know, there's no problem. We we, we can do that. And in their Keynesian view, they, they were looking back at the recovery from the 1990 uh, recession with 2001 recession and the recovery from the uh, Two thousand eight two thousand nine recession, and they were saying, Oh man, it took a long time to get back to low unemployment. well, uh, as a society, given all of the issues that are fracturing us and given the importance of of restoring low unemployment we're gonna we're not gonna take four or five, six years to to get to low unemployment. we're gonna speed up that process we're gonna Pursue a very expansionary monetary policy, and with all this slack in the economy, it's not going to be a problem. So we had a very expansionary monetary policy, and uh, now we're dealing with the consequences.
0: According to your view, the, the cause of this inflation uh, was primary or or one hundred percent monetary, because you know there there have been some other explanations given, you know, such as like supply chain um, issues uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, and that that caused inflation. Obviously, a lot of the prices have gone down significantly for some of the products uh, that were hit with uh, hit by the uh, supply chain issues. Uh, though inflation still persists. So, uh, you know, why is it that inflation has hit? Is it a purely monetary phenomenon in your view? Okay. So one
1: of the things that makes it difficult to talk about inflation and inflation targeting is that. There's a lot of noise in in inflation. And the way to think about it, well, economists use the term sticky price inflation, and those are firms that set prices for a long period of time. And that's where we have this inertia in in inflation, okay? There's also flexible price inflation that, that just sort of bounces around because of relative price shots. the price of energy moves up, the price of food goes up, that passes into headline inflation. So there's there's a lot of noise in underlying inflation. Now what the Fed should be concerned about is underlying inflation, not all all the noise, okay? So this was a particularly important but difficult issue uh, starting in uh, 2021. Uh, To a significant extent, monetary policy was responsible for the increase in underlying persistent inflation. And we'll talk about uh, where we are with respect to that um, in a minute. Um, And that came from two two sources. Uh, One was that, as we said, monetary policy was very expansionary. That means aggregate demand, the spending of the public was... pumped up by monetary policy. And that interacted with supply constraints to push up the price of factors that were affected by supply constraints, the disruption in, um, in the supply chain and so on. So that was an interaction between these, that caused these, what economists call relative prices, to uh, push due to headline inflation. But there was also an, another factor, which was that the Fed thought that being Keynesian, that financial markets really were not functional. They they really believed that markets had lost the ability to assess risk accurately. Now I'm a free market Chicago economist. I don't believe that was the case. But that was that was the view, and they thought that buying lots of securities, treasury securities, and mortgage backed securities can um, revive the housing market that that would get credit flowing again, and people would start spending again, even though um, uh, they weren't going to rest. They would spend on something at, at, and keep, uh, keep the unemployment rate uh, declining well. So what the Fed did was to monetize a significant amount of the pandemic payments that Congress authorized, uh, the, the checks that were sent out to the public. You send a check out to the public, it's got to be paid for. Uh, given the size of the, tr- of the transfer payments, uh, the Treasury had to issue a lot of debt. Well, the Fed bought a lot of that debt. Okay, but it, And again, this is a little bit trivial. If the Fed's raising, willing to raise interest rates to offset that stimulus, then then you know, money is like economists say, money is a veil. It doesn't really have any effect. But that wasn't the situation. The Fed was what the Chicago Fed likes to call "Odyssean forward guidance. The Fed promised financial markets interest rates are going to stay at this very low level, almost a zero, for a long period of time until we make a lot of progress on getting unemployment back to its pre-pandemic level of 3.5%. So in that situation where the Fed is accommodating the monetization of government debt, um, it's helicopter money, and there, there's a difference in degree between the United States and Zimbabwe or Argentina or Venezuela, uh, but there's not a difference in kind. If if the if the central bank creates helicopter money, uh, that pumps up people's asset of portfolios. It pumps up the price of houses, consumer durables, equities. People feel wealthier. Uh, they go out and spend. That's the transmission process. And as they spend in this environment where potential output was constrained uh, because of the virus, uh, that extra money, that extra spending, the old business about too much money chasing too few worlds, guess what? Um, You know, with the kind of Freemanian lag, uh, inflation, underlying inflation rose. Now, it began to rise in 20. 21 and the issue is well why didn't the fed see it why didn't the fed back off and say oh, oh you know this is this is like the 1970s well it had this keynesian view that there was lots of slack in the economy it was all that slack in the economy um it it can't be due to us it's got to be cost push inflation and when all these supply disruptions uh, are dissipated you know inflation will just come back down uh, naturally to two percent. so the Fed was very very slow to uh, respond to the rise in underlying inflation. and it was complicated because it had committed to this policy of expansionary monetary policy, and how do you do that when interest rates are at the zero lower bound? Well, you promised Marcus that the, that the funds rate is going to stay almost zero for a long, long period of time okay and part of that was that the the monetization of government debt which was called quantitative easing the fed promised that we wouldn't raise the fund trade off the zero lower bound until after we had phased out quantitative easing mm-hmm. okay well so we had to announce that to the phase out of quantitative easing to the markets let that take effect and then we could start raising the funds rate. And that didn't happen until March of 2022. So, um, from the time that the Fed should have seen persistent inflation rising,
0: the Fed was a whole year behind the curve. So, that was about a year ago. And what, what do you see as sort of a, occurring in that time where they realized that they needed to reverse course to, to tame inflation? Uh, and how is the Fed, in your view, uh thinking about or maybe not thinking hard enough about how uh we we might need to control inflation okay um so so first off
1: the, the fed's not very good at uh uh understanding its own history uh it does not maintain a uh, a section of historians who can tell the fed uh-oh uh, you know, you tried this before; it didn't work. Uh, uh, you know, the Fed has this uh, narrative that uh, the economy evolves and follows the economy, and uh, monetary policy and just doesn't make mistakes. Well, if you don't admit you make mistakes, you can't. Work. Okay, so so the the Fed sort of looked back at the look but look back at the seventies where we had inflation, and they took this sort of Keynesian view that that it really wasn't monetary policy that was a problem it was it was this wage price spiral the cost push inflation rose, cost push pressures rose pushed up inflation and then the labor unions saw that and they pushed up wages and then the corporations saw the increase in wages so they pushed up prices and you had this you had this spiral okay so the fed said uh uh-uh, uh we don't want to set off uh this Inflation uh, spiral. We got to get it under control, and so they did raise, um, start raising the fuzz rate very, very significantly. They didn't realize they were behind the curve, but they didn't really have a, and they still don't. And that's what we're why we're here. They really don't have a long run strategy for bringing inflation down to two percent and not undershooting. So. Sure, the Fed can make monetary policy expansionary. You just raise the funds rate um, until the economy starts tanking. Okay, but then what do you what what do you do then? Uh, so we will we will get disinflation, but how do we make it stop at two percent? And then how do we keep it at two percent? So so um, the Fed's got to do some serious uh, introspection about kind of what it did wrong and how to put back into the place the kind of procedures that we developed in the Volcker Greenspan period that gave us price stability and the great moderation.
0: What are some of the main lessons that you think can be learned from the Volcker Greenspan era, taking what happened then and applying it to how we might conceive of what's going on now? That gets us back into this issue of how many
1: balls you're gonna juggle. Uh, when, the, when the Fed becomes socially concerned uh, it looks out and says, oh, the economy's fractured. Um, uh, we have all this internal dissent. We need a low unemployment rate as, as a way of, of dealing with these social issues. And, and in the 70s, uh, you know, you had the divisiveness over the Vietnam War, you had a militant civil rights movement. Society was was fractured just the way, just the way it is now. And so the, the Fed thought, two things. One, it thought that um, uh, we need to balance off low unemployment and low inflation. That gets us back to the Phillips curve uh, stuff we talked about earlier. And it also thought inflation was cost push, so that if 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 cost push pressures are pushing inflation up, if it's coming from labor unions, it's coming from increases in OPEC uh, engineered oil prices, it's coming from uh, Weather-related uh, food food shortages. If that's what's pushing inflation up, then to, if you're going to bring it back down, the Fed thought, "Oh, you got to raise you got to raise unemployment." But but in this in this socially fractured environment, uh, the Fed thought that that would be too too costly. So it tried to balance off uh, unemployment and inflation. And over time, by 1979. Uh, the Fed lost what economists call a stable, nominal anchor. That is the expectation that if inflation goes up, it'll come back down. By 1979, um, the ex- financial markets had lost that stability and when inflation rose up with the oil price shock that occurred when with the um, Soviet invasion of Afghanistan and the, the crisis in, in Iran, um, the uh, inflation went up, but markets just, thought, oh, it's going up, it's gonna go up even more. And so uh, Volcker and then Greenspan were very concerned about restoring a sense of what economists call nominal expectation stability, with the the expectation that that if inflation rises, it'll come back down. And so to do that, they had to discipline uh, monetary policy and convince markets they weren't gonna juggle two balls anymore, they were gonna juggle one ball and that was price stability, and the way to achieve it was to uh, convince markets that it was credible so so that expectations would, would again become anchored. And then in Greenspan, as you probably know, it was a student in Rand, and so he was very familiar with the gold standard. And his, his objective was to restore the stability of uh, prices that had exi- existed in the gold standard after the the price level wasn't all that different in 1939 than what it was after the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, uh, So that kind of discipline, initially enforced by what what we're calling the bond market vigilantes, the the bondholders had really been burned badly in the late 60s and, and 70s, and they were very sensitive to anything that would suggest the Fed was going to run an expansionary monetary policy. So that it, 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 if the Fed started um, bumping up money, uh, bond rates would rise, and Volcker and then Greenspan said, uh-oh, that's, you know, we're letting, we're not making progress on restoring uh, the expectation price stability. So so the bond market vigilantes imposed a lot of uh, discipline. And then um, finally, uh, in 1994 and 95, uh, Greenspan conquered the, <laughs> conquered the bond market vigilantes. But the thing was that um, the change from the 1970s that the Fed was willing to make preemptive increases in, in the funds rate, and the, the no longer being prodigy, uh, having their feet held at the fire by the bond market vigilantes, uh, what Greenspan did is he, he looked at labor markets, and if it looked like labor markets were overheating, that was the signal that we needed these preemptive increases in the funds rate to uh, prevent inflation, of course, by the time you come to uh, uh, the pandemic monetary policy and thinking goes back to the the Keynesian uh, of view, the Fed was no longer to willing to raise uh, the fuzz rate in response to uh, strain from the labor market because uh, it was back to juggling these two two balls again, uh, and then and then uh, as we talked about. Uh, uh, the Fed got behind the curve, and now underlying inflation is uh, pretty pretty far above two percent.
0: Right. So, I don't know what the exact uh, inflation numbers are recently. I think it's like six or seven percent. Um, you might know better than better than I do. But currently, the the uh, the federal funds rate is set at four point seven five, and they're signa- still signaling further uh, rate rises. So, how exactly exactly are they? determining uh and you know you might not accept, know exactly what it is that they're determining you know 4.75 versus five versus 5.25 um but you know do you have a sense of of how they're sort of coming up with these with these numbers uh is it is it essentially just based on feel or is there uh, are, are there equations that they're using or, or data points that are helping to dictate uh what the the federal funds rate is getting set at Okay, let me make, make two points. Uh, first of all,
1: uh, the FOMC participants who are going on the airwaves and saying, oh, I think uh, the fuzz rate is going to have to end up at 5.5% instead of five and a half quarter, or uh, we're not going to pivot and, uh in 2023 you know the funds rate is going to stay high until 2024 well that's that's forward guidance that's just sort of guessing uh what kind of uh restriction restricted policy you need to bring the inflation rate down that's that's guessing uh, uh forecasting the economies a, is a fool's fool's errand okay that's different than having a long-run strategy uh, to to bring uh, inflation down. That is, uh, in terms of the volcker Greenspan area, we talked about that strategy was based upon maintaining the expectation of price stability and then being willing to raise interest rates preemptively uh, if if it if there were signs that monetary policy was too expansionary, particularly as reflected in overheating of labor markets. Well, we don't have that kind of strategy. Uh, uh, no we don't know what's going to happen when uh the the fed finally says uh uh oh um inflation is coming down but the unemployment rate's coming up okay that's the that's the first thing and, and, and i want to I, I i will get back to that uh, what the fed what's what, what 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 the fed's going to do when it needs to kind of back back off that's the first thing the second thing is that um and this goes way back to milton friedman in 1960 and this and, and, and something he wrote in a, in a little trap called a program for monetary stability. He said, he said that if you have a macroeconomic target, and he used the example of price stability, but you could use uh, any macroeconomic variable, if you simply look out the window and see what it's doing and respond to it, that's going to be destabilizing because the actions you take today won't have an effect for uh, a civic a, a significantly longer uh, period so if you want to lower inflation and you step on the brake today and the effects don't occur and freeman eventually said you know two years uh well the, you you step on the brake nothing happens you step on the brake again nothing happens you keep stepping on it and then uh, you you've overdone it and then and then um uh, unemployment rises, inflation falls, but then, but then you step on the accelerator and 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 you repeat the process the, going the other way around, and that was uh, uh, the criticism of aggregate fine aggregate demand management fine tuning that Friedman made. It would end up as a uh, as a stop go cycle or, or go stop either either way. Okay, so. Um, now, Friedman's solution to that was 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 steady money growth. Okay, but what is the Fed doing now? Well, the Fed doesn't have a long term strategy. It knows that um, it can't look out the window and keep raising the funds rate until inflation falls. So, what's it doing? Well, and this gets gets us back to what we talked about earlier: is kind of reimagining or reinventing the 1970s. In, 70s inflation is not due to high money growth but rather due to this wage price spiral. Fed is looking at underlying inflation and underlying persistent inflation is primarily services sector inflation. Okay, Um then you know there's a difference between uh, how piano te- teachers change the prices they change uh, for uh, piano lessons and how uh the price of wheat is determined in auction markets day by day okay so um uh, the fed is thinking uh if we're going to bring the services sector inflation down uh services sector prices are primarily determined by wage rates uh what it you know the the time of of a piano teacher okay um so we got to bring wage inflation down now the the unemployment rate's at 3.4 percent. It hasn't been that low since 1969. It's obviously the Fed overdid it and and pushed the unemployment rate down too low with expansionary monetary policies. So the Fed the Fed's saying oh, we got to um, labor markets are too tight. The unemployment rate is too low. We got to um, we, we know the unemployment rate has got to rise. We just want to control the rise. Well. The problem is, this is what we talked about long and variable lags, um, the unemployment rate, which needs to go up, that's a lagging indicator. If you just look at that, um, by the time you see the unemployment rate go up, you're already in a serious recession that is historically in the post-World war War II period. By the time you see three consecutive monthly increases in the unemployment rate, you're already in a serious recession. So. The Fed is sort of repeating um, what what Freeman advised it not to do. You can't have this sort of simple kind of feedback rule where you look out the window and just look at inflation. Uh, the Fed's doing that with with wage rates now. So the problem is, is going to be what happens if the Fed overdoes it. And that's what I hope we'll be able to talk about next.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Let's let's uh, let's talk about that. So you know, to, to put your question right back to you, you know, what what does happen if the Fed overdoes it, or uh, you know, how does the Fed avoid overdoing it? Uh, it seems like you think that maybe it it has already started to overdo it, but um, you know, what what happens? Yeah. Well, we don't know. Okay. But um, you
1: asked the right question, and um, so. The place to start is in the 1970s, and why did the Fed get hard land needs? It certainly didn't want that, okay? Well, when the Fed became concerned about inflation, it would start raising the funds rate in a steady way, and eventually it would get to the point where monetary policy was restrictive and the economy would weaken, okay? So it became clear that we could be going into a serious recession. Well, the Fed should have been able to lower interest rates and sort of balance off um, uh, the weakness in the economy with reducing inflation, but it didn't do that. And the reason it didn't do that is the issue of what economists call credibility. The Fed was very concerned that if it began to lower interest rates before inflation actually came down, even though the economy was weakening, it would lose credibility with financial markets and uh, labor markets, and those markets would just assume that the Fed was willing to tolerate a higher rate of inflation, and inflation rate significantly above price stability. So the Fed put inertia into the required reductions in the uh, funds rate, and that's what kicked off a serious recession. Okay, so what happens now? Um, so the, the Fed is going to eventually make monetary policy restrictive? Is it restrictive now? Um, I hope we'll come back to that question, uh, because there's a lot to talk about here, okay, in terms of the monetary overhang and so on. Um, But eventually, you know, the Fed will raise the funds rate to the point where the economy weakens. We're going into a recession. At that point, inflation, because of its persistence, inflation will have, underlying inflation will still have um, will still still be too high so okay shouldn't the fed have learned what the lessons of the 1970s well that's the that's the problem um what happens if the fed uh, begins to lower uh the funds rate before underlying inflation gets back to two percent well i mean now the fed has put itself in a, a real box so there, there there are three reasons um one is that uh the political system is so uh, divided. Uh, each side sees its need to prevail over the other side as an existential issue. Uh, and each side uh, believes that if it um, gives in, uh, then it's, it's giving in to, to the Antichrist. So, so the, the, the rubber's hitting the road with the, with, 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 with the debt ceiling. Now uh, you may have seen the um, uh, report of the Committee for Responsible Budget that came out today. The Maya McGinnis uh, group—they're—they're they're very good, and um, they've been making the point that the underlying deficit uh, is five percent a year, and 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 without significant fiscal restraint, that that's just going to continue, and the interest payments uh the debt are just gonna grow relative to GDP uh over time as, as as debt grows. So that um right now we're looking at um increases uh, of of the debt to GDP ratio of 110 hundred uh ten percent, which is as which is as high as it was at the end of uh World War Two. Okay. So what happens if the uh, if if the Fed starts raising uh, starts lowering interest rates when the economy weakens, well, you know the markets are going to say, Uh-oh, "Uh oh!" the the Biden administration, the Democrats, the last thing they want is a recession going into the in, in, into the, the elections. Okay, so they're going to say, "Up oh, the Fed's giving in to pressure from the Biden administration." that's going to be a problem for the, for, for the Fed, if it, if, if it looks like it's giving in to these, these political pressures, okay, and, um, if you start to go into a recession, uh, you know, Congress is going to want to do even more in the way of stimulus, and so the markets are going to say, uh-oh, the Fed's giving in again, it's trying to keep the, the, um, interest on government debt low, so that we can have an expansionary um, uh, f- fiscal policy. So, all these um, pressures are going to uh, come to bear on the Fed. The Fed's going to be uh, agonizing over whether it loses its credibility f- for restoring two percent inflation uh, if it begins to lower the funds rate before inflation actually gets to two percent. And there's one more thing, and 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 this is going to be even <laughs> maybe even harder uh, for the Fed. This, the Fed, uh, with the post-pandemic expansionary monetary policy, uh, the Fed ab- abandoned the kinds of procedures that were the hallmark of the Volcker, uh, Greenspan era era of preemptive uh, increases in inflation uh, to preserve price stability. And those procedures, again, to put it the way we did before. Um, discipline the Fed to focus on price stability rather than trying to juggle low low employment and um, low inflation. So the, the Fed is, is gonna have to do some serious soul uh, searching uh, whether it wants to go back to these earlier procedures of a monetary policy focused on price stability with the implication that, that markets private markets determine uh, the unemployment rate uh, or is it going to want to uh, go back to si- the 70s and try to juggle off the trade-offs, the Phillips curve trade-offs between low inflation and and low unemployment, but just put more priority on, on low inflation. And the markets don't know what the Fed's going to do. And if the markets become concerned that it's going to go back to this policy of juggling two balls, then they're going to be... Con- become concerned well maybe the fed will give in to raising the inflation target they'll raise it from two percent to three percent and and there's a lot of talk about that um you know um I'll uh Olivier um uh, is, is 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 a proponent of that but that's a slippery slope uh once you raise your inflation target what kind of credibility do you have uh uh the next inflation shock uh comes uh Uh, markets will think well sure you know uh we're back to the 70s you know we'll just let you know and let inflation rise rather than deal with it through higher unemployment so the fed has really got itself into a box and uh we we don't really know what's going to happen um when it it appears that um yeah inflate inflation really is coming down but the unemployment rate is rising and this this very difficult um political environment in which the fed finds itself so uh st- stay tuned i, I promise you that monetary policy is not going to become dull
0: yeah is there anything that you would recommend that listeners maybe look at or uh you know even maybe books that they might consider reading or uh, or other things that they that they might investigate to help them navigate because I, I you know i as a as a Person just following this, it's obviously it's so complicated. I barely understand. The more I learn about inflation, the less I understand now, what, if it, what if it is. I don't know if you have any recommendations. You could uh, recommend your own book too. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's a problem. Um, the the Fed dominates the airways, of course, because the markets want to know what's the Fed going to do with the funds rate uh, uh, next month. Uh, you know that's. Gets back to this thing about of forward guidance. And so it's a great thing to become a member of the FOMC because you're an immediate media star. Uh, okay. But then the other side of that is that you repeat the Fed narrative, which is that, um, you know, the shocks hit us externally uh, and we deal with them uh sometimes uh you know forecasting's really difficult so in 2021 uh we had to make a forecast and we we thought that the that the main problem was going to be unemployment rather than inflation okay we made a mistake but that's just because because forecasting is difficult uh uh, th- there's nothing wrong with the underlying strategy of having given up preemptive increases in in, in the funds rate. Okay, so the, the first thing is just to listen critically, uh, and 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 not simply accept the uh, the Fed narrative, and then hope, hopefully, um, you know, ac- the academic community will um, revive an interest in inflation and monetary phenomenon. And we'll again have the kind of debate, the monetarist Keynesian debate that we had in the 1970s. Uh, uh, and then, you know, the public's going to have to listen to that debate and listen critically. But um, there is a real problem here and there's no way to get around it. The, the Fed has never, Congress has basically putted and told the Fed, you create the monetary standard. Well, what do we mean by the monetary standard? Uh, uh, Two things. One is how you give the dollar bill in your pocket a well-defined value. Okay, and how stable do you want that to be? And the other issue is um, how well does the price system work? Does it, um, do, do we need a stable framework that will allow a free market economy to work? Or is the price system so um, a weak read, and and we really need periodically to have expansionary and contractionary policy to offset the inability of of, of the stabilizing price system to uh, maintain a full employment. Those are deep issues, and the only way to deal with those is to go back and look at the long history and see what's worked and what hasn't worked um what what kind of monetary standard um, provides stability for a free market economy and what kind of monetary standard has simply added to uh, instability so um i'm sorry i don't have an obvious uh, answer except to uh, make the point that we need we need to have a very serious debate over the kind of monetary policy we want. And for that to happen, the appointments to the FOMC have to assume kind of importance that appointments to the Supreme Court have. We really need to have people who are serious scholars of monetary policy. You can't just say, oh, okay, this is politically incorrect, but you know we have to have gender balance and, um, ethnic balance and uh well let me put it this way when i get on the airplane and, and fly back to Richmond Virginia uh where I was employed at the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, I just want to know that, that United pilot knows how to fly a plane. I don't care what gender ethnicity it is. I just want to know, does he know how to fly a plane? Well that's what's missing. That's what that's what's missing now. The um uh understanding that the appointees to the um, Federal Reserve Market Committee need to be serious scholars in monetary policy. Countries like Norway and Great Britain do a much better job off of that than we do, but United States, it, it's way too much of a political football.
0: So yeah, I, I, I suppose on that point, you know, Jerome Powell is currently uh, the chairman, and you know, I, I was wondering how you you know, sort of a general assessment of of his views uh, and his tenureship compared to, you know, his predecessors, Yellen, Bernanke, and Greenspan.
1: Well, let me, and this will come back to um, uh, kind of fit in with the uh, tapestry of the themes we've been weaving together. He's a lawyer. Uh, he's a very smart guy. You know, he's very, he's very capable. There's no question about that but he only had one course in economics at Princeton. It was a general of principles course. Uh, And so his education in economics has all occurred at the Board of Governors. And the Board of Governors has a lot of very smart economists there, but still there's a culture uh, that you don't criticize, your boss, you don't criticize what the Fed is doing, Um, there's significant internal debate, but once the chair decides on what policy is going to be, it's your job to support the chair. Okay. So Powell was never exposed to the kind of serious debate that went on in, in the 1970s, monitors Keynesian, and he doesn't know how to reinvent it himself. And and the Board of Governors is not going to reinvent it uh, for the reason we just talked about. So let's take a specific example of, that we've already referred to. March, uh, 2020, where the Fed uh, began to monetize a significant amount of government debt. Okay, uh, now we know now, and we should have known earlier, that most of that was just going to be saved. Most of those checks that went out to house- households were not going to uh, waitresses and waiters and restaurants who lost their jobs because restaurants could no longer serve a sanitary meal. It was, it was going out, the uh, households and um, PPE laws and, you know, whatever. Uh, the the fact that I had more dollar bills in my pocket uh, didn't mean that I was going to start going out to a restaurant uh, that couldn't, you know, deal with, uh, you know, the, the virus. I, I just put it in my checking account. So now there's this big monetary overhang that the public's working out working off. and why is that a problem? yeah, doesn't that prop up the economy and that's it, it isn't that doesn't have some to do with why despite this very dramatic increase in interest rates to um uh, maybe ultimately five percent is isn't that a good thing that um you know the economy keeps going and without even though monetary policy is uh, raising interest rates and hurting the housing sector? well, no. and and the the problem is that, um again, the Fed's looking out the window, it wants wage inflation to come down. It wants actual inflation to come down uh, before it begins to lower the funds rate, so it doesn't lose uh, credibility. But if the um econ if spending is being propped up by the public working off this monetary overhang, what happens when it's word thought? Then all of a sudden, uh, the restrictiveness of monetary policy kicks in, and all of a sudden it's very clear that we're in a very serious recession and that we need to lower interest rates significantly. And then we're in this box again about credibility. So let me give you a specific example of that, which I think is relevant today. So um, in the summer of uh, 2020, in the summer of 2000, um, the economy began to weaken, and later on, Greenspan uh, uh, recognized that and said it would have been a good time to start lowering interest rates. But mo- during the Asia crisis, monetary policy had been very expansionary. Uh, the stock market went up. The unemployment rate went up, way down to about 3.8%. You know, uh, so labor markets were really tight, and Greenspan didn't want to lower um, the funds rate of uh, and send a signal that we were backing off on inflation when labor markets were that that tight. So he put off lowering the funds rate. But then as you get into the very end of 2000 and early 2001, uh-oh, it becomes clear that we really are going to a serious recession. Well, Greenspan had enormous amount of credibility at that point. He could lower the funds rate very significantly and the markets the financial markets just yawned, but yawned the um, uh, bond market vigilantes were um, at, at, you know, they were gone. Okay, well, the question is, if we're in that situation now, does Powell have that kind of Greenspanian credibility to lower uh, the funds rate significantly without um, uh, setting off inflationary expectations in financial markets? And, you know, maybe we've accumulated a lot of it um because of the policy policies we'd followed uh subsequence of the Volcker uh disinflation and maybe Vol Paul can pull it off. But given this kind of environment we've talked about, uh, you know, maybe you can't and and then we're there then we're in in, in, in real trouble and, you know, the Fed's independence is gonna come under attack. You know, Elizabeth Warren's already sharpening her knives and uh you can be sure there will be others, uh, uh, others out there. So I repeat uh, uh, what I said earlier. Uh, uh, don't worry, monetary policy is not going to become dull.
0: And you know, my last sort of question is just a maybe a, a more general question, just about uh, you, you know the the sort of place that we're in as far as uh, you know just yields are are concerned. That obviously since. 2008 financial crisis when the um, when the federal funds rate was put at basically zero, uh, and then you see that explosion in the stock market where people are are fine to invest in a tech growth stock that's not going to pay them that much, and now you you can buy a bond and get five percent on it. Do you think that we're you know that there is this kind of desire maybe on on some some front to return to a you know sort of what things used to be like uh, you know when people would invest maybe in a, let's say a more sensible way, uh, in thing, in, in less risky assets and that, you know, <laughs> maybe there, there might be that desire. Like we, we don't want to go back to 0%. We don't want to go back to 1%. You know, we want to stick at 4% because that's more reasonable for people that are savers to, to expect yield. Well, I think we need to go back
1: to, um, uh, how Volcker and Greenspan. uh, Defined price stability. The way they define it is that when firms go to set prices, they don't think about inflation. It's not a concern to all. They care about is how they price their product relative uh, to others. We need, we need, we need to get back to that uh, kind of environment. Uh, when we sh- we need to get away from the idea that we can move inflation around uh, in some kind of controlled way. You know, like the Fed had this flexible average inflation targeting. Uh, that was part of uh, expansionary monetary policy that we were. I believe a central bank saying it's going to raise inflation. You know when when have, when have we had that? So we we need to get back to a kind of monetary environment where where people just take price stability for granted and and that we let a free market economy work. Uh, we shouldn't be in this business of always trying to. Uh, pursue expansionary or contractionary monetary policy to uh, offset instability in the economy. We need back to thinking about a stable monetary framework, but that's a a problem for the Fed. You know, we've got two objectives, maximum employment and uh, price stability, and the Fed wants to maintain its independence. So it's going to tell the Elizabeth Warren populace and collars, oh, we care about what you care about, and what you care about is low unemployment. And so there's always this temptation in a crisis to um, abandon the idea of, of a neutral policy that provides a stable monetary framework, and get back into this uh, uh, go-stop uh, cycle. And and to do that, we need we we need the kind of long-run framework that we don't have now.
0: Well, Robert, I, you've certainly given me a lot to think about, I'm sure listeners uh, as well. Uh, you know, this is obviously it, it's such a complicated, uh, you know, time that we're in, and it's it's certainly hard to know what's what's coming next, but it's, uh, you know, I, I would highly recommend that people check out your paper uh, and and give it a read. Uh, and also your book, The History of Federal Reserve, I think will we'll, we'll certainly give a lot of people a lot to think about. So, Robert, thank you so much.